0: You're listening to Gen Ed, a podcast about the general realities of life, both national and local, for students of North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of 88.1 WKNC, NC State Student Media, or North Carolina State University. Gen Ed was born in the production room of 88.1 WKNC, NC State's student-run non-commercial radio station. My name is Colleen Keenan-Ferguson, a.k.a. the Podcast Manager at WKNC. This podcast is a showcase of the different issues relevant to student life here in Raleigh. Each episode features interviews with different staff, faculty, and student leaders to showcase a variety of opinions on different subjects. Today's show is about the post-election atmosphere at NC State University. Regardless of your political affiliation, this election was stressful. Media coverage has been divisive and outrageous, and I can't help but feel as though our entire country in election electoral system has been made into a spectacle. I have struggled with talking to the people I know who voted differently than I, but now is not a good time to shy away from hard conversations. I had the pleasure of talking to Miss Stephanie Tate, editor-in-chief of the Nubian Message at NC State. She allowed me to pick her brain on post-election etiquette and her own opinions on the 2016 political scene. For additional information and perspectives on NC State issues, please check out thenubianmessage.com. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tate. I
1: am the editor-in-chief of The Nubian Message, and I'm a junior studying political science here at NC State.
0: And I'm Colleen Keenan-Ferguson, podcast manager of WKNC, and we're going to talk about the state of our campus, North Carolina State University, in the wake of the 2016 election. So did you attend any post-election demonstrations on campus? I did. First, I was originally going to cover one, and then I just decided that I just
1: needed to be there standing in solidarity with people who were hurting from election, so I decided not to write
0: Have any of your teachers made statements on it? Yeah, um, I had a really cool professor that
1: the night, the day after the election sent out a whole email basically saying, for any of you that are hurting, um, I just want you to know that you matter, your life matters, I stand in solidarity with you. And it was really important to me that she had that conversation. I have some other teachers who made like slight jokes about it, um, but she was the one who came out and said, I know that this election affects people in our class, affects them negatively um, more than positively. So she kind of fought that conversation and then we had a whole class the next class that we met we had a whole class basically just discussing like post-election feelings and like actions that were being taken et cetera.
0: have you seen any changes on campus or anything like bad that's happened
1: yeah. So the day following the election, actually, um, one of my writers and his girlfriend happened to find white supremacist flyers hung up all around campus. And then the two days after the election, one of my writers happened to find that same one of those same white supremacist flyers in one of our newsstands. So that was kind of disheartening. And then just recently, yesterday, someone submitted a guest call into the Nubia message about how they happen to see a... Um, last year, the technician did a coverage of our 3 winners and uh, the wake of the one year anniversary of their death and someone in the library i'm not exactly sure who but someone who worked in the library had the paper taped to their office door and someone came through and tore it apart so we got a guest column about that yesterday um and it was called unprotected yet unapologetically muslim um, it's a really great column i definitely suggest people check it out but those are just some of the things that i've heard happening around campus
0: As a female journalist kind of covering the election season, have you experienced any weird microaggressions from people you interviewed or talked to for it? Yeah. Before
1: the election at the Hillary Clinton rally, I actually interviewed someone in line. And then when I told him, or I was attempting to interview him, when I told him, you know, hey, my name is Stephanie. I work for the Newbie Message, African-American newspaper. He said, well, I don't talk to the media. And I said, okay, <laughs> cool. And then after the election, I actually had someone tell me uh, that this is not necessarily the career that I should be going into because journalism is dangerous and journalists die every day. So that was an interesting perspective. I've heard little things like that about, How dangerous this field could be and there are better things for me to be doing with my time better things for me to be pursuing so just little small microaggressions like that
0: who are some journalists that you look up to or who inspire you to keep doing journalist work? I would definitely say
1: uh, Melissa Harris Perry. Um, she's a little bit of a journalist, an author, um, a professor, everything in between. Um, so she does uh, a couple broadcast things, which is cool. And it's really inspiring to see like a black woman that is doing that. Um, I would say probably anyone that just has a special interest in telling stories That aren't necessarily always told. So um, Polo Sandoval from CNN. um, I think he just picks up unique stories all the time. Um, Lisa Respers France, who also works for CNN. She is just phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. I actually got to interact with her this summer and she was just super funny. But then she also talked about the importance of telling stories and um, why it's important to be a journalist, why it's important to be a black woman and be a journalist and tell the stories of people who you might necessarily not get to hear from.
0: What advice have you offered your newbie and message staff in covering the election or in dealing with post-election feelings? I think the biggest advice
1: I gave my staff was to remember that at the end of the day, we're a news organization. And so although a lot of us have um, political leanings and a lot of us are very passionate about this election, especially this election, because for many of us, it's the first time we could vote. But then also because this was just an election that was unlike any other. I think that was the biggest thing I had to push with my staff is, hey, we are a news organization. And although we endorsed Hillary Clinton for president. Tides obviously did not work in our favor. We still have to do good reporting. But then one of the biggest things I also stressed is, in this culture of hate, in this culture of intolerance that has been bred throughout this election, this is when the real journalism happens, is post-election. This is when we start telling the stories of people or things that are happening on campus. There's never been a more interesting time to be a journalist, at least not for us that have been in college for, what, like four years? Not even. So I think this is the work that we are doing is important, but I think also one of the things I really stressed after we found those white supremacist flyers is that our paper exists for a reason. And we have done some excellent work this year, if I do say so myself. And that's not to say that, you know, we are perfect. That's not necessarily the case, but I love my staff and they work very, very hard to do great journalism. And our relevance on this campus is just continuously increasing. Um, and I just want them to understand that, that their voice matters, the work that they put in matters. And so that's one of the biggest things I also stress to them after the election.
0: Have you seen any media coverage that's disappointed you before? because of the way it was written, whether it glossed over some dehumanizing aspect of Trump's campaign or anything like that. I think
1: the biggest thing for me was people, a lot of, there were a lot of stories that I saw, and I don't necessarily know if this is the fault of the media per se, but there were a lot of stories that I saw that said, um, you know, Trump got elected because college students live in an echo chamber and safe spaces and things of that nature. And there were a lot of stories on that, but I haven't seen as many stories about, hey, you weren't exactly, you weren't the person that was out there screaming, go Trump and everything like that, but you still voted for Donald Trump. Tell me why. That's the stories I think those are the stories that we're missing here is closet Trump supporters, Mm -hmm. per se, people who necessarily weren't gung-ho about him or weren't super excited. I want to hear from those people. And I want to know, and I know the rest of the public does as well. But then also, what are you feeling post-election if you were supporting Hillary Clinton? There's been a lot of stories about what women are feeling. And then there's been a lot of stories about hate crimes, but there haven't been a lot of stories about um, what other marginalized groups are feeling and then getting bringing their voice to the table. Instead, we're talking about things that happen to them, but not about their reactions to what is happening to them.
0: Have you had to have any difficult conversations with Trump supporters about your feelings post-election?
1: It was really difficult for me to see people I know and loved say that they voted for Trump, kind of like they were outing themselves via social media saying, hey, you know, this wasn't the best choice, but this was the choice I made. And now I feel comfortable saying so. And I think the most difficult conversation for me was Trump supporters that have said, well, people feel uncomfortable talking about who they voted for. And that's uncomfortable. And for me, that was uncomfortable to have that conversation because these people are speaking from a place of privilege because it's one thing to say, hey, I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about politics because that was always a sentiment. That was a sentiment before Trump was running for office. That was a sentiment before Hillary Clinton was running for office. That was just always a sentiment that has been around. It's almost been a professional rule as well not to talk about politics in the workplace, et cetera. So for you to say, I just don't feel like I don't feel comfortable talking about who I voted for president. That's a certain amount of privilege when there are people that are saying, I don't feel comfortable wearing my hijab around my campus or I don't feel comfortable walking around without pepper spray or I don't feel comfortable enough to think that you know someone in class might not say something that's racist or homophobic or sexist to me that's a different story um, so those are the most difficult conversations I think I had to have is having people understand hey when I say that you're talking from a place of privilege it's not that I'm saying it's not that I'm attacking you I'm just saying that there is a side there's a perspective that you are not necessarily seeing because you don't have to so let's have a conversation about that let's not just argue or yell at each other but let's have a conversation about what this means for other people besides you. So that's I think my biggest or my most difficult conversation. To me, a friend is someone that cares about your well-being and if you voted for someone and that's not necessarily just trump i'm talking local elections uh, state level etc if you voted for someone that essentially contradicts the humanity of so many people including myself then i don't know if i can call you a friend to begin with because to me that says that you do not care about the well-being of the people that are in your life so if you think you're my friend and you don't care about the well-being of others, then chances are you're not my friend. Um, You're an acquaintance. You're someone I went to school with, someone I met one time in Target, but
0: you're not my friend. So I haven't had to
1: end any friendships.
0: Having those conversations has personally been really difficult for me. I'm not good at talking politics, but someone very close to me who I live with, I've been having trouble with because they think very differently from me. And to them, the concerns of many minority groups in the country Post election, those concerns, they kind of just think that, you know, the liberals are just upset that their candidate didn't win and they all need to get over it. They also don't really see white privilege as a thing. So, do you have any advice on how to have those harder conversations with people who really don't think in the same way that? you do about these kind of topics. Yeah,
1: I've offered it to my staff and then also just to uh, general friends. And the biggest thing I have to say, and this is, I guess, this comes from the political science background part of me, um, someone that loves to debate. Arguing is not going to change their mind. Arguing is not going to change who our president is. So you start by having conversations that propel us forward. So what can we do to change attitudes? What can we do to change hearts? What can we do to help you see someone else's perspective and why this is a dangerous or scary situation? situation for them living under a trump administration so i think that's one of the biggest things that i've been trying to tell people is become problem solvers have conversations about what we can change what we can do differently to um Make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I think that's my biggest thing. And also, too, it's not just Trump supporters you have to have the conversation with. Because at the end of the day, I blame the DNC just as much as I blame anyone else. And I met Donna Brazile a couple weeks ago. So that's really difficult for me to say because I thought she was really cool. And I still think she's a cool person. But I blame the DNC at some point because it's not just that people liked Trump. It's that a lot of people disliked Hillary. And so um, when people dislike someone that much, they dislike her politics, they dislike aspects of her personal life, et cetera, there's obviously going to be some pushback. So I have some friends who are diehard, some friends and some staff members who are diehard Bernie supporters who have had to say, hey, do something to change the DNC, change around the structural, make structural changes there because that's who deserves part of the blame here. We can't just blame people for their political leanings, but also let's have a conversation about how we can all contribute to making our country a more safe, inclusive, tolerant place.
0: Definitely. I think Bernie's kind of spearheading that change by pushing for Keith Ellison to be the head of the DNC chair. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the kind of white feminism we see in the media and social media a lot that intentionally excludes women of color and especially in post-election coverage I've seen a lot of articles that have been blaming women of color for not doing enough when in fact you know it was 52 percent of white women in the United States that voted Republican for Donald Trump so what are what are some of your personal issues with that kind of white feminism and why do you think it's important to make feminism more inclusive of minority women especially?
1: Yeah, I've seen a couple of things saying that um, women of color, black women specifically, and Latino women should be blaming themselves, um, which just simply isn't true. Mm -hmm. We've seen the exit polls. Um, We know that women of color came out, women of color that did come out, they showed out for Hillary. They voted for Hillary for the most part. But that's not necessarily true for white women. And I think this is one of the issues that we get into with white feminism is um, there's an idea that you choose your race over your gender and over your system. Because I like to think of everyone as sisters who are struggling with different things that you might not necessarily be aware of just because you have a different perspective. Um, So I think that's one of my biggest issues is black women are not to be blamed. Latina women are not to be blamed for doing what they've always done. And that's carrying the brunt of really difficult work. And that's one of my issues is uh, or my personal issues, uh, aside from being Nubian, just being Stephanie, that white feminism can sometimes step on the throat of and attempt to silence the voices of women of color when in reality, from the beginning, women of color have been saying, you know, we're not really with Hillary. I don't know many women of color that were gung-ho about Hillary. They they might've liked her. They might've liked some of her policies, some of um, her ideas, but black women still remember when Hillary Clinton called black children super predators. Um, so you know what I mean? Um, black women still remember Bill Clinton being responsible Uh, partially responsible for the incarceration of a number of black and Latino men um, for uh, long periods of time with very, very uh, few violent crimes. So um, I don't necessarily think it's the job of women of color to carry the entire Democratic Party. Um, I think it's unfair for women of color to have to bear that responsibility. And um, I think this election just shows what happens when you know there's not a consensus on hey, this is what we uh, we as a people want, not just what my subgroup wants or what I think your subgroup should do. But I just feel like there weren't enough uh, cross cultural conversations about why aren't you a fan of Hillary? Mm -hmm. why um, or why are you a fan of Trump etc because there are some minority women that did vote for Donald Trump so those conversations didn't happen and because they didn't happen and because they didn't happen early enough we have the results that we have now I just think that's one of my biggest things is making sure that those conversations are going to happen in the future so that um, something can change um, and then also that so that other people can share perspectives. Um, I think that's really important to understand that your feminism doesn't necessarily always look like someone else's feminism. And that's totally fine. Um, Womanism exists for a reason. uh, Chicana feminism exists for a reason. Um, So why do these groups exist? And then what is it about white feminism? What is it about American feminism or white, able-bodied, middle-class feminism that is um, and heterosexual feminism and cisgender feminism. What is it about that that is exclusive and what can we do to fix it?
0: Is Nubian Message planning any special editions or special coverage in upcoming months about some of these things we've been talking about?
1: Yeah. So I really want to do a um, a long form piece on feminism and what that looks like and the context of being a black woman. And because there are a lot of tropes within the black community, black women have to remain strong and that black women have always been, which is just kind of true. Um, all stereotypes are based in some type of truth. though for the most part that black women have been the backbone of the black community so looking at what that means going forward for women of color who are now getting married later who are now getting more education than ever before what is what does feminism mean to you and why is it important that everyone has their own definition of feminism that's inclusive but still unique to them so that's something I really want to pursue personally through Nubian and maybe do an opinion piece on that I mean I think the biggest thing we have dealing with like feminism and stuff like that going forward we're gonna have a sex issue again people really enjoy our sex issue last year. People like talking about sex. So um, we're going to do another sex issue. And I I think we have some some pretty cool stuff. I can't put it all out there yet. And then we also have some stuff that's already been written. We have a section of our paper called Kenton's Corner. So we have a writer named Kenton Gibbs. He also writes for The Technician. He's a great guy, super funny, and he has a lot of opinions. So um, he has his own corner of the paper and he writes a ton of opinion columns. So he just recently did one called America, You Played Yourself. And basically said, if you voted for Trump, Um, This is why you played yourself. If you're in this subgroup, if you're in this subgroup, etc. So it's kind of fun. um, But then we also have like lighthearted holiday stuff that is a little bit um, relaxing and more fun. Helps you get your mind off of Mm -hmm. post-election
0: craziness. How personally have you kind of taken care of yourself in the post-election craziness? I'm still waiting to figure that one out. Aww.
1: Um, Aww. I think post-election was just super crazy because the week of election, I didn't really have time to process it um, because I had to, we covered the election night watch parties that were happening around campus. Um, so I covered those personally, but then also um, that was the same week of the white supremacist newsstands incident. And then right after that, I was thrown into another whirlwind week um, where we had to print and we were getting gearing up for our holiday issue. So I haven't really taken a lot of time to process the election. I've had a couple of different microaggressions, like personally against me, since the um, since the election has started. So I'm excited for winter break to sit down with empowerment ice cream on my couch and watch Christmas movies with my dog and practice some self-care. But I've had some, I have an awesome support system. So that has definitely helped me out. I have a really cool guy friend who has just been like super great about watching movies and TV and hanging out. Um, My awesome roommates, they're my best friends. um, So it's great to be able to come home every day and see them, some smiling faces. Uh, My parents are really great. Of course, they're, I talk to my parents every day. um, So I think that my version of self-care is just, keeping up with the people i love um until i can find some time to like really sit down and decompress
0: same that's been the only thing that's made me feel better yeah. about the election yes. is just talking to people being a female journalist in school and working another job you just have no time to do anything
1: no, you don't this is your life this, <laughs> anyone listening this is your life go
0: go go 24/7 and it can be so hard to catch a break but just even having like a little 5 minute conversation with someone can just can just help so much So what are your thoughts on the local uh, governor's election occurring in North Carolina right now?
1: I have my own political leanings and I'll keep those to myself. But at some point, just give up, Pat. Just give up because this is just embarrassing at some point. Um, One of the things that I've learned in college and I think Pat still has yet to learn is to just take a loss gracefully and just accept it. Recounting and recounting and recounting its not going to lead us anywhere different. The people of North Carolina have spoken. Whether or not you agree with the people of North Carolina, that's up to you. But I just think this is a big political tantrum, honestly. And at some point, it's just counterproductive. It's not doing anything for the state of North Carolina, to be honest. Um, We're just in this awkward standstill. We're already kind of an embarrassment to the nation. People really don't like North Carolina (laughs) that much So because of certain things that have been passed, etc. So At some point, we have to make a decision to move on and um, try to better our state. Now, whether that's with Governor McCrory or potential Governor Roy Cooper, um, that's for you to decide. But at some point, we just have to move on.
0: Editor's note, former Governor Pat McCrory officially conceded to Roy Cooper on December 5th, a week after this interview was recorded. If Hillary can concede graciously to Trump, I think Patty Cake should just... (laughs) I think he should just let it go. Were there any final thoughts you had about what about NC State specifically in the wake of the election, living in the South and going to a traditionally agricultural school, there is a pretty strong Trump supporter presence here. Are there any lasting thoughts you wanted to share with anyone who might be listening?
1: Yeah. So for one, if anyone from upper administration is listening, there have been a number of episodes that I know of that we have written on, uh, written on whether that's the tearing up of the R3 Winner's paper and D.H. Hill or the white supremacist flyers that have surfaced. I don't care if they surface around campus as a public university and free speech is still the thing. And we receive money from the government. So yes, unfortunately, we're technically an entity of the government. But them appearing in Nubian message newsstands is just completely unacceptable. And I am still waiting for upper administration to speak on that. I've heard personally from Dr. Mike Mullen, who reached out to me, which really meant a lot to me. But it's really important that students feel safe on campus. And I know my staff personally felt targeted and unsafe. We've been taking extra precautions about not leaving the office late at night, etc. But students should feel safe on your campus. So if you're in upper administration, um, reach out to me. Let's talk let's have a conversation about and not just don't just have a conversation with me, but have a conversation with leaders in all the different marginalized groups on campus about how we can make sure that they feel safe. And then if you are listening and you just have a lot of opinions or you uh, would like to submit a guest column or anything like that to the Nubia message, we are always looking to see some fresh content. So please reach out. And then if you're a student and you're listening in the wake of post-election and you're upset, whether you voted for Hillary or Trump or Roy or Pat, um, please utilize the resources that the university has available to you. Um, The Counseling Center is a wonderful resource that is sometimes very underutilized on campus. So make sure you're reaching out and then checking in on people. This has been a difficult election for a lot of people, regardless of what side of the fence you were on. So just start having productive conversations and let's move forward. Yeah, I have, we have heard, one of my reporters heard from uh, Reggie Barnes, who is the head of the Bias Incident Response Team. She heard from him when she was interviewing him for an article. So Mike Mullen and Reggie Barnes are the only people that I have heard from. I'm, I'm not exactly happy about that. Only because, like I said, if they were, if you're talking about the Flyers being on campus, that's one thing. But for them to resurf, for them to surface in the only African American student newspaper's newsstand is to me a target. I feel like we're being targeted. My staff felt the same way. My staff does not feel safe, and I think um, the university needs to do something to address
0: that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gen Ed. For a full listing of podcast episodes, you can look up Gen Ed on the iTunes Store. Or follow us on SoundCloud and all other social media at WKNC881. The music used in this episode is Isla de Java by Zaire. Zaire's music can be found on freemusicarchive.com.
1: I just want administration to know that I will be looking to hear from you um, and that's all upper administration. You should want to protect the reputation of the university and when things like that surface and make students of color feel unsafe, there's a difference between feeling uncomfortable and unsafe. And so when students of color are saying, hey, we don't feel safe on your campus, you should want to address that hurt. You should want to address it, especially when it's targeted at a specific group of students because when I saw those flyers in the newsstands, I immediately took it to meet my staff and people that read our paper, which are majority students of color. So I will be looking to hear from you most definitely for you to just say, hey, you know, this has no place on our campus. This has no place at NC State in our community. And if you don't say anything, then I'm just going to assume that you don't care.